The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. They're incredible. I mean, it's just not usually in awe of teams that much, but I just can't help being in awe of Barcelona Femini. Like, they're just incredible. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the, the team of us. And then Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent here in studio. You're very welcome. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you. So we have much to discuss. Warren Gatland. <laughs> Guess who's back? Oh, my God. <laughs> the inevitable happened to Wayne Pivak. 34 matches, 13 wins was never going to quite cut it. And what's worse for him is things were going in the wrong direction. So this year, yeah. 12 matches and just three wins. WRU Chief Executive Steve Phillips said today, Gatland will take charge of the Six Nations, the World Cup, and added there is, quote, the ability to go through the next World Cup cycle up to and including Australia 2027, end quote. So this is not just a short-term measure necessarily. And I guess Gatland's 59 years of age. There is plenty of juice in the tank. What proposition does this make Wales in 2023? I I think that means... If I've done my maths right, I think he, he could have been, by the time we got to 2027, he could have been coach for 16 of the last 19 years, which is quite an, a remarkable uh, body of work. What does it mean for Wales? It's very tight. It, we, I was over at the uh, Heineken Champions Cup launch last week and Andre Pollard was up and all the English guys were very interested to talk to Andre Pollard about um, how quickly it took Razzy Erasmus to turn South Africa around during the last World Cup cycle with a view to Eddie Jones. And he said it's too tight. He said Erasmus had two years. He went home in 2017. He took over for the 2018 season and had a tour, you know, an incoming tour. I think it was England were over there in 2018. He had a rugby championship. Then he had another one. You know, he had another rugby championship before the World Cup. He had a, no- a November as well. I think he had 18 games. And I think one of the things Erasmus did, if you watch that Chasing the Sun documentary, was he had a, you know, he started with this big 18 and we're going to have this big process to get there. Now he had 18 to play with. So that was why 18 was the big number for him. Pollard said, it took us 10 to really get what he was wanted to bring. So when think of Gatland, he has five actual games. Then he has, I'm not sure exactly how many Wales have in terms of warm-ups. It's either three or four. And then you've got the World Cup opener. They're on their softer side of the draw, um, but they've had a very bad cycle. Their gr- player group is definitely not as strong as it was when he was last in charge. He's relying on a couple of familiar faces in terms of Alan Wynne-Jones, George North, guys that he would have given if not their debuts he would have overseen the vast majority of the great great parts of their career he may even look at bringing someone like John Davis back you know who's been kind of out out of the frame you know the starting the, the player of the Lions series in 2017 but he's very much asking the, getting the band back together and trying to get a tune out of them one last time and I don't know whether he's going to be able to bring back bring in a couple of his old assistants or is he working with PVAC's team I, I think that's to be TBD but you know Robin McBride is at Leinster so I presume he won't be able to go and get him Rob Howdy is available I suppose um, Sean Edwards in Paris is Sean there. Edwards is in Paris and that's you know he, he may be available after all Gatland without uh, Sean Edwards well yeah that's a, it's, it's it was a big part of what he did you know and, and that team that he had behind them I, I think Edwards had moved on by the time they got to the last World Cup and and um, you know, he went on Lions tours without him, and True. you know, he he had he had a very, I think, 
you know, he's an overseer. He he sets the tone. He's not a Joe Schmidt. He doesn't. He's not on the pitch with the players. He's not devising game plans. He has other people to do that. And Stephen Jones, the former out half, is supposed to be a brilliant attack coach. And he was working under Pivac. And you would presume he's going to continue. And you know, he would have played under Gatland at the start of Gatland's Wales term and and the end of his own playing career. So there's a relationship there. It's just very tight, and it, it's it it. It, it was never you know it doesn't speak to good planning that you're ditching your coach this close to a World Cup and it's you know maybe maybe happening in England even by the time we go there it may have happened in England but it just speaks to how badly they've got things wrong and how badly things went for Pivac who I feel sorry for because he's a decent man but it always following Gatlin was always going to be difficult and the structural issues within Wales that we knew were there Gatlin was able to paper over those cracks for years and keep it all together and create this Team Wales down in the Vale of Glamorgan and they're banking on them being able to do it again and you know it's uh, it's a massive ask but you would never underestimate what Warren Gatlin can do and even his Lions experience of being able to bring things together quickly and performing I'd say he'll keep it simple I'd say he'll pick a lot of familiar faces he'll have a go with the Six Nations but it'll be more about right let's just get a team together but you know it's like you know the way things are going he won't have many URC teams in the knockouts he won't have any European teams in the knockouts there's not a lot of rugby to be played really between now and the World Cup if you're not playing in those games you just wonder where he's going to get it from mm. in terms of quality yeah true he never oversaw the most complicated game plan it was no. often said of Gatlin so that's a plus and maybe the lack of Heineken Champions Cup involvement means we'll hear stories of Welsh camps left right and centre over the coming months and yeah maybe yeah which worked uh, for Japan in 19 and, well, indeed and he is the great band-aid of Welsh rugby isn't he it's incredible and if you read Sam Warburton's piece in the London Times about two weeks ago after they lost to Georgia maybe three weeks ago now you know the structural issues that are there mm. are are stark and we can see it on a weekly basis anyone who watches the URC the paucity of performance from all four Welsh regions I know they can come up with a one-off performance here or there but really over the course of a season they're not at the races and they blame budgets and they look at the Irish model and they don't like it and there's all sorts of deep-seated reasons behind it in terms of club v regions and people don't like the regions but ultimately the player base is not as good as it was they had a team at the FIFA World Cup this summer or this this, this month you know that's difficult for them they've got two teams competing at the high end of English football who are very popular they're losing ground to the to the, the game of football and the you know even you hear them complaining about the match day experience in Cardiff and, and how real fans don't like going anymore and you just wonder about the long term viability of the game which was so synonymous with Wales and Gatland has been able just during his time there to, to come in and just create this group of this this squad it's a club and they can perform and it, it really nobody cared about what, what, what everything else that was happening because the team were winning the national team were getting to World Cup semi-finals they were really unlucky not to go further in 11 and they came within a seconds really of, of taking out South Africa in 19 so his achievements are unquestionable and his ability is unquestionable and you know he's underestimated in this country a little bit with a bit of resentment going back to his time here and some of the stuff that transpired across the years but you can't help but respect what he's done in the game and his ability to do it and, and he's been so integral to like the fact that they've gone back to him just speaks to how important he is to particularly WRU because when he's winning nobody wants to shine a light at what they're doing and a paucity of ideas yeah yeah, and or and homegrown coaches. Um, it was only a couple of years ago. Two of the four regions were coached by Irish coaches, which didn't sit well with with the with the, the Welsh fans over there. Um, there's no outstanding candidate within the regions because the regions haven't been successful. Pivac was the only one who's managed to get a tune out of any of them. Um, 
but there was definitely a, a sense that that was you know his lifetime achievement really and he'd been around the block in between his success at Auckland in the early 2000s and being successful with the the Scarlets in what was it 16 or 17 in between that he hadn't his body of work wasn't sensational so you're you're wondering whether he could get a tune you know whether you could take that on to Wales um, and I suppose like are they going to go for Razor Robertson at this stage he seems to be either going to England or, or New Zealand who else is there it's everyone's locked in you know going for someone now is, is, is tough Gatlin was available it was you know he suddenly appeared on our televisions or our, our streaming services with Amazon he got a column in the Telegraph he'd gone back to New Zealand with every intention of being the next All Blacks coach I think once that ship had sailed he realised there's not a huge amount of money to be made in New Zealand rugby if, if you're not involved in the All Blacks. He's been, you know, the Chiefs coach before. Why not come back to Europe and 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 you know live that life again because it, you know it's lucrative, it's challenging. As you say, he's not that old. I wonder would he have preferred to try? Then there must be some uh, comfort in the familiarity of going to Wales and the, and the great challenge. And he. he the fact that he's loved there and he's admired there so much must everyone has an ego that must play to that as well and yeah. I don't think he'll study his legacy either I think what he's achieved there in the fullness of time will be appreciated even if this doesn't work out I mean this was this is a bit of a shot to nothing yeah and even though it's a harder thing to define there is something in Welsh rugby that can be a touch illogical that can be a touch inspired and so Gatlin coming back you suspect now suddenly Cardiff will be full again for the matches and there'll be a sense of possibility and we're going to do something is there a bit of destiny about this again all of these almost ephemeral qualities but I wouldn't discount them entirely either when no, it comes to Welsh rugby like it's a little bit like the, the kind of Munster in Europe story it has the, it's it's um, which we'll probably come back to later but it's it has that mystique and, and like there is something in having a bit of mystique and having a bit of a, an aura about you and it's only four years since... I mean, everyone remembers Eddie Jones' England knocking Ireland off their perch in that first game of 2019. But that last game in 2019 was the the Gatland team um, almost nilling Ireland to win yeah, a Grand yeah. Slam in the build-up to a World Cup where they got to the semi-final. So it's not like he's irrelevant the roof, the either. Roof open, infamous. Yes. Uh, <laughs> look forward to these things. And Farrell's worked under... like There's loads of subplots that we, we will revisit when it comes to Six Nations. You know, Farrell was his defence coach and the on the 17 and 13 lines and make the Six Nations more interesting he always did you know he he is I mean as we if we if we lose Eddie Jones and gain Steve Warthwick that's a disaster from a making things more interesting <laughs> point of view but at least we'll have Gatland and his ability to throw uh, grenades is the word we always use in these scenarios OK this conversation has the ability to date quite quickly hmm. are we likely to lose Eddie Jones? I don't think anyone knows um, it was interesting that the panel um to kind of review him, the, the names came out. They tried to keep them secret, which is just never a good idea because there's good journalists working in England who have good sources, and they came out in the Mail on Sunday yesterday. Um, the Glanville is one, Ian McGeekin is another. Yeah. I can't remember the third guy's name. I didn't, I'm not hugely aware of his body of work in the same way as those two are kind of more significant figures. But I think the, even the English journalists are hearing things all the time and different from you know from different sources. It seems to move between the mood music this morning. Certainly was that he would. He looks like he's on the precipice. Um, whether they could work it that he could bring Borthwick in underneath them and maybe someone else, and they could get to the World Cup because Borthwick, has, you know, has previously worked with them, and then Borthwick takes over. Is that a, is that a halfway house? Do they ditch him and get Conor O'Shea in, which I think was mooted on Friday? You know, he's obviously the, the boss of the. You know, he's it's supposed to be his his realm, so he could obviously do that. My good is that he's probably gone. It sounds like the the mood music has shifted to such an extent, but he's he is one of the great survivors and. Again, like I'm at Wales, like they don't. It's not 
great to be you know he's got three years working towards this World Cup to pivot at this point there's not a lot of time to get it right but the results are t- have not been they're not as bad as Wales but they're not good and the performance against South Africa and the, the hint that you know even the times of the story on Monday or Tuesday that ticket sales for the Six Nations are sluggish that's what will decide his fate really if they feel that getting a stopgap in or even an English coach in with new new ideas and, and a and a new game plan will boost those sales because that's the lifeblood of the like much like Ireland international tickets are the, the lifeblood of the whole thing mm. they actually the Six Nations set is set up quite nicely for them the schedule I think it's Scotland Italy and then Wales which was probably not as easy as it once was and then they've Ireland last so if you, they could go into those last two games with a real shot of winning it and they're uh, unquestionably you know, good players in that squad my gut is that they will they will dismiss him, but I wouldn't be surprised either if they if they decided to double down on him. Um, particularly, I, I listened to the po- the Rook podcast earlier. Stephen Jones was on it. And he was like, he's he wants rid of Jones. It's quite clear in any of his coverage, but he thinks yeah. this is basically the, the, the nicest the collection the nicest collection of men that you could possibly assemble on any committee, and they might be just too nice to get rid of him. That they'll think Eddie will convince them, and he's quite a charming man. I think he can he can convince a room and. An impressive figure as well in many ways, and he, you oh, know yeah. his World Cup pedigree is very good. So um, it's a big call. I, I, my gut would be they should get rid of him, and, and they, they will. But nothing would surprise me at the moment. Heineken Chairman's Cup week is upon mm. us. You're writing about this in the Irish Independent today. Yeah, twentieth of May, twenty twenty-three, Aviva Stadium Champions Cup final. So yeah. that is, I would think, for Johnny Sexton and Co. in particular, a very appealing situation. Uh, Munster play Toulouse on Sunday. Racing host Leinster in Le Havre on the Saturday. The La Défense Arena being used for a concert. Ulster away to Sale. And they have La Rochelle and Belfast the following week. Yeah. And Challenge Cup is where Connacht reside this year. They have Newcastle. Just as a, you know, we, we've talked about where this competition is at the moment, but certainly from an Irish perspective, that's an opening two weeks to whet the appetite. That's as good as it gets, really. Yeah. Uh, so the point of difference this year is the South African contingent are very much involved. Stormers, Sharks and Bulls. Uh, Saracens return. They are top of the Premiership after nine games. And we have just one Welsh, one Italian, one Scottish side. So this tournament is embarking on the next frontier here. Yeah, I, I think it's a big story in England and and in France, maybe less so for us, partly because we're used to the South Africans and I think in the first year of the URC it worked very well and they really added to the competition, they made it a better competition. And also because, the, because we're in the same league, the Irish provinces won't play them until the knockout stages, so we're in quite traditional waters and we don't have to worry about going to the, the height of the South African summer one week and then playing in the, the European winter the next, which is happening for... Leon, Harlequins, London Irish in the next couple of weeks. And London Irish, I think, are going to Loftus Versfeld um, a week after playing. I think it's going to be sub zero in London this week. So it's it's a real difficult challenge. And, uh, you know, John Dobson, the Stormers coach, was talking about it. It's much easier for the South African teams because they're used to the heat. They go, they're going home. Yeah. Playing in winter, you know, it's not that that tough, but it's it's a whole new dynamic, I suppose. It's very tricky for those teams because traditionally in the URC, when the provinces have gone down, they've tended to do a tour and yeah. have two, three weeks in a row. So suddenly, for as you said, the likes of Harlequins, Claremont, Leon, Bordeaux, Exeter, London Irish, to nip down for a game one week and back the next yeah. is a big ask. I'm and, not sure how well that's going to go down. And with the them. week, the week after, they've big games. The Christmas period is a really important time in all the leagues, so it's. Um, it's about squad management. It's about do you bring your frontliners? Is it's about well, can we can we afford to win this game? Like, can we? Is this one especially with the pool stages being so 
uh, like Connacht got out of the pool last year with one win so you don't have to win your games to get out now home advantage is very important and like Leinster will definitely be going all gun bla- guns blazing to be the top seeds so that they can win this competition without ever leaving Dublin yes. in the knockouts but the nightmare scenario here to accentuate a negative which may not come to pass is if those clubs look at South African trips and say well let's send our B team down there and make sure we win our home game yeah I think the nightmare scenario for the organisers that's a bad scenario the nightmare scenario is that one of the French teams goes down there, gets E. coli and is unable to fulfil the fixture and then is or, or something else and is unable to fulfil the following week's fixture in the top 14 at which point they will bring the whole house cards down because they're so yeah. not they're so the top 14 is so important to them they're quite sceptical I think the English are because of the CBC link English are quite on board with it the French they're, they're a bit more come see come saw about it all and I think like um, the Ospreys got Coli there last week Glasgow and Ulster got uh, Coli during their stay there uh, a couple of weeks ago as well those games weren't played the Ospreys managed to get their game played but lost quite heavily like, that's a real concern um, you know it is a very different environment different climate you're playing rugby at a time of year where South Africans don't play rugby you know this is cricket season over there um, it's very unusual to be playing at the height of the South African summer in, in the heat of it all um, so I think that's the disaster because like last year's pool stages were it was havoc because you know Leinster Leinster had games called off there was a whole round of games where it was pretty much take, taken out we ended up kind of you know games being awarded to Montpellier Leinster lost their seeding because of it we're not happy about it but the previous year they basically rode off the pool stages and, and went again for the for the last 16 so I'd like to get through pool stages with all the games played that'd be nice um, you know COVID's still around you know there's still the, that threat is there you know the, the Omicron thing in the URC last year was very unfortunate. The two, te- you know, they just happened to emerge in South Africa. It was detected in South Africa. It was everywhere. It was, you know, yeah. it just came at a wrong time, and Munster got trapped there. But if a, te- if a French team got locked in South Africa for two weeks and missed top fourteen games, and ended up in either in a relegation scrap or missing out on playoffs, like you're talking about, absolute courage. Now this is the this is disaster planning or s- the scenario planning, yes. but it is you know something that has happened recently and. Um, particularly the French, I think there's a. It's not. It's not cliche volatility. I think it's just that the they could take or leave this a little bit more than everyone else. And if things go wrong, they'd be like, "No, well, why are we going down here in the middle of our season?" The format once again two pools of twelve. Have yet to meet somebody who likes the pool stages of this competition, but there we are. Two pools of twelve. Everybody plays four games. Top eight from each qualify, and then last sixteen is back to one leg as opposed to two, and. You can, if you're one of the seeded teams, have home advantage all the way through, mm. which is obviously very significant. Leinster are in Pool A, Munster and Ulster in Pool B. You were writing again in the paper today. Pool B with Munster and Ulster includes La Rochelle, Toulouse, Leicester, Stormers, Claremont. Pool B, the tougher of the two. Definitely, definitely. You've got the French champions, the URC champions, the reigning champions, the English champions, and the previous winners as well before that, all on the same side of the draw, plus Munster, Ulster. Um, and Munster are really paying the price for losing in Belfast um, at the end of the season and going out in the quarterfinals of the URC because they were lowest seeds and they're playing two very very difficult opponents in, in Toulouse and Northampton whereas um, and Ulster and Leinster again because they didn't get to the final are, in, are have difficult fixtures as well it's a much more challenging pool stage for Leinster than it has been for for years since probably since Leo Cullen's really difficult year in his first campaign because it's all predicated on what you did in the in the URC Um and it's this weird scenario where you you're up against teams you're not playing the teams you're playing are not ne- are not playing against each other. It's almost like an NFL scenario, it, and it's very hard to follow. It's hard to engage people with it really. Um, 
and I think what they've done, I've said this in here before, is that they've sacrificed the pool stages to have a really good knockout. And one, once we get to the start line in April and the pitches are harder and or, and, and the knockouts begin, it's, it is a really good... Like the, the knockouts were great last year and, and will be great again this year, I'm sure. Whereas the pool is slightly harder to fathom um, and it doesn't sound like they've any real will to try and go back to it because they don't have the weekends. They've lost weekends to the Premiership and the Top 14 in the URC. Um so it's basically about just a, it's a points race and getting as many basically if you win your home games you'll go through you could go through it a little bit less but you kind of want to be up up in the CDs you don't want to be going to France for a, or South Africa for that matter for a quarter, yeah. for a last 16 game um, you want to be trying to stay as close to home um, it's going to be hard it, like the, the particularly for Munster um, but even Leinster like on playing Racing away I know it's not it's on a neutral venue but it, like Racing are a really good team um, who will provide them loads of challenges which maybe will stand to Leinster that the things we've talked about before about you know not being tested that will be one of the things that will stand to them and if they get through What's great for the tournament now is that there's one free to air, air game per round so I think Munster to lose is free to air and they're all out involving Irish yeah, provinces this year which deal was uh, generally not an Irish province so to have Irish provinces yeah. free to air not least to lose Munster to kick three fifteen on a Sunday like that's going to get huge viewership and, and like this my sense is that this t- tournament has has really really struggled in the last couple of years to, to move the dial and, and and people have tuned out like people who used to be really into it have tuned out an awful lot partly because it went behind the beat firstly they had that deal where they had Sky and BT together and really didn't know which channel they were going to be on and then when they went fully behind the BT paywall I think a lot fewer people then had BT than they have now because you can get certainly with Sky I've Sky you get BT Premier and Sky all together but back then when they were competing against each other much more it was just hard to see the games and people didn't have it and you'd be tweeting about games and like people were like oh was that on you know the, the, the rugby fans were almost surprised that these things were happening so hopefully that just because what the, the tournament was built on at Munster on RTE back in the day um, and if they get a good game on Sunday it'll be really kick it off in, 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 in good style so that's it's. I think it's it's a progressive step and it's very difficult to build a sport behind behind a, a yeah, paywall like that you this know. deal is a tacit admission on the organisers mm. part the weekend just gone then what do we learn from it uh, Leinster 38 Ulster 29 the first 21 minutes of this game up to and including Keane Healy's red card for the tackle on Tom Stewart was a turkey <laughs> there were penalties knock-ons it was stop start there was bad kicking uh, there was no suggestion of the excitement to come over the subsequent uh, 60, but then it really did catch fire. Leinster 23 down. They conceded three tries in 13 minutes. Kelleher scored a vital try just before half time, so it was 22-10. And then it was like flicking a switch, Leinster second half. The, even just their carries, there was just an intent about them. I, I suspect, I was saying it yesterday on the show, they don't have bang the table uh, team talks all that often. Mm. I would suggest there was a bit of anger in the dressing room at halftime because there was something very uh, going through the motions about their carries and their their physicality in the first half, but it changed. Yeah, um, it. I think it's the best performance I've ever seen from a team of fourteen men. Um, I thought the fact that they just made it look like they didn't have they weren't weren't a man less for for so long was was a testament to their fitness, their belief, their togetherness, and their skill. And how just how good a play like they're all such good players. Yeah. Even the the tactical decision to bring off Jimmy O'Brien and replace him with a forward in Andrew Porter, who was phenomenal. Um, 
other coaches would have left the full back line on and gone with seven forwards. That was a that was a key decision in what, the game. What, what generally is the go to in that instance? Because uh, Leinster did have a six two split as well, which may have influenced the decision. Because Leo Cullen afterwards was just uh, praising Lowe and Keenan for mopping up back there, just yeah. the two of them. And I saw like Ryan Baird and and Josh Van der Fleer at times just dropping back yeah. in and taking high balls and 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 being everywhere and kind of doing that full court game. I I think it would be to to leave. It depends on who you're playing. And Ulster also had a six two split in the bench, I, I think, and they had quite. A, they picked a very big pack with, with Henderson six, on the flank, yeah. um, and it was a wet night. So on a wet, squally night, I suppose you want another forward because there's going to be more scrums, there's going to be more drop balls. There's also going to be just more tight stuff. And the kind of game that it was, he obviously made that call. But maybe on a drier day, you might against a different... Although it also have a very dangerous back line. So mm-hmm. you're taking a chance. And we saw it exposed before half-time with it was a McElroy try but, you know, in, in in that first half when Ulster looked like they were going to pull away and do what you do against teams of 14. And, and Leinster could have easily said, we got a red card after 20 minutes, what do you expect? But to come out the way they did, the tactical change worked. They there was an attitude about them that yeah. I just really, really admired. They I was half wondered if they almost enjoyed the challenge a little bit. Oh, like, I think they did. Uh, yeah, akin to you know they generally win a lot of these games. There was a degree of oh, this would be quite something if we. Well, Ulster beat off. them in the RDS last year as well, and James Hume didn't he shush the crowd as he scored the the kind of the, the insurance try. So I don't think there's any love lost there, and they've now gone up to Ravenhill and, and beaten them up in a very tight game. And now they've come and absolutely like shown in the second half that like you, you're not fit to take our spot at all. Whereas it has looked at times where Ulster, Ulster think they're close. I, you know, Ulster and have been close. They're the second best team in Ireland, or they have been in for the last year. Yeah, they, you know, they came probably closer to winning the URC than Leinster did last year. They could have gone further in Europe. They're a very good side, but this was a bit of a get back in your box moment. You know, this was, I think that was quite an emasculating defeat and damaging defeat for Ulster. Dan McFarlane picked up on that theme. He said this one's hard to take that's definitely going to knock us yeah and then recover to say but look we'll review it during the week business as usual big game at the weekend against Sale but he did say that is going to knock us and I think there must be a real reality check afterwards when you're sitting in the dressing room reflecting on going from 22-3 against 14 to honestly the last five love minutes life. you could have flicked off yeah well like, the one thing I I thought it was good from their point of view is that they got the last try and they got a point and they got, they left their point because these things do in the fullness of a season. Mm. You know, Munster played well against Leinster but came away with nothing, whereas Ulster at least have something to take from it. But the way, like they were coasting, they looked like they were enjoying themselves before half time. And look, losing Cooney in an incident that could have seen James Lowe red carded, that's a pivotal moment in the game. Nathan Doak's a fine player, but Cooney is, is the man who makes them tick. You know, Billy Burns was carrying a bit of a knock. Didn't probably get the, the the leadership from him that they needed. But then he, if he was you know struggling a little bit again, six two split was difficult. Yeah. Um. You know, there are reasons why it didn't happen for them. And, and what I thought, I never thought about this this way before. But Leinster's, what's the best thing to do against fourteen when you're playing fourteen against fifteen? Get them down to thirteen. You know, get, you know, force them into a position where they start conceding penalties. Their discipline slips, and suddenly it's you're not at a disadvantage anymore. I th- like, I'm not saying they went out to get players sent off, but I mean Gary Ringrose definitely drew the referee's attention to the fact that he'd been hit in the face by James Hume, which he was li- allowed to do, and then they put so much pressure on at the mall, which had been Ulster's strength in the first half, that the the second yellow card materialised. It was it was smart as well as everything else um, from them and. Yeah, I, like it sets them in such good stead going into this week. Look, they're you know they've got doubts over a tight furlong. They're going to be missing Keane Healy. They're a little light in the tight five to be on to France. They have their issues. Sexton's probably going to miss out as well. But you wouldn't really back against them against anyone at the moment, which which is a really good place to be. And we know they have 
the questions over them when it comes to against the biggest teams and the biggest games towards the end of the season but largely at this time of year they're very good and when you see Baird pitch up with an incredibly physical performance Van der Fleer just continuing that form Doris coming off the bench and affecting the game so well um, Jason Jenkins has had a new dimension to their play Ross Maloney's so mature he comes off the bench he's, he's a leader for them even though he's very unheralded Porter's an, like an incredible athlete they've got two of the best hookers in the world mm. and that's just the forwards like Ringrose scores two, two remarkable tries and is, is becoming an incredible leader for them as well It's it, they're in a very very good spot and even Ross Byrne looks like he's kind of loving life at the moment as well which is which is good yes it does feel like Ringrose akin to Robbie Henshaw is in the best phase of his career mm. complete package yeah I was and talking to somebody recently who was um, would have a good knowledge of behind the scenes at Leinster and was making the point that Ringrose is just about as quick a learner as you'll ever come across in the game you mm. don't have shown things twice yeah he's very sharp he's very he's a sponge um, he's diligent. I mean, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, but he's he's polite to a fault. Like he's he he doesn't say anything no. on the record at all. He doesn't. Um, for journalists, he is like if he becomes the modern day prototype, it will break our hearts. But for Leinster, be like Guy Ringrose, everyone. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, but there's obviously still like uh, what I've always wondered and I've always tried to get. Cause I have interviewed him a few times. I've like, come away going, what a nice guy, but I yeah, yeah. didn't get much out of that, and I wonder what's the driving force beneath them what's, where does that steel come from and I think we're starting to see a bit more of that steely personality in the way he deals with his teammates it, like his, his tackling is vicious at the moment he's like his great physicality timing. is a hit yeah, yeah absolutely and he's not like you know he's nice a bit like Van der Fleer who again is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet when you when you come across them but once he's between those light lines he becomes something else and that you know the fact that he is such a genial nice polite personality and then he has this this alternative personality it's fascinating you know get him to talk about his hard but I find it really interesting and you know he's become an incredible defender mm. he's become an incredible um, not become he's always been a really good attacker I mean like the try he scored in the 2017 Heineken Cup semi-final over in Claremont was, you know he's always had his capacity to give these O'Driscoll-esque moments and he has a lot of O'Driscoll-esque um, kind of features in his yeah, game and it came to the same like yeah. it's almost like the regen championship manager regen that they used to do when one player retires another would appear but he has but he's his own man as well you know and he's become a leader quietly and he you know it, it's it's very impressive and you know he's probably going to be Leinster's next captain he's captained them at the weekend and he's kind of quietly become this really senior figure in Irish rugby and to your point like if they can get Henshaw alongside him they have two of the most informed top of their game players in the world it's just they're missing Henshaw at the moment but yeah. um, no it's, it's it's it was quite like the way he grabbed that game by the scruff of the neck and took those tries was mm. to do it the same try twice almost was amazing <laughs> you know? so they're in Le Havre as I said to play Racing who are second in mm. the top 14 8 wins from 12 that's going to be a very interesting game Yeah. as for Ulster they go to Sale uh, Dan McFarland after he was saying that's hard to take and it's a big knock to us he was talking about Sale he said they are absolutely the second best team in England they're incredibly physical and they've had a rest week so they will have Sale away and then they have Ron O'Gara and La Rochelle arriving in Belfast Ulster last year eliminated over two legs by Toulouse left with a lot of regrets mm. are they a better team this year? I think so I think so but they have a tougher draw 
Um, I think Mee Madigan was at that launch last week and he said they won five of their six games in in Europe and in any other year that would have left them with a home quarter final and that instead they were out which was an interesting way he was looking at it and he certainly was full of belief that they're, they are making progress and are a better team this year and they've added to their squad it's pity Rory Sutherland's injured whether he's um, going to make it back in the next two weeks I'm not sure but like he is adding to what they have in terms of their, their tight five and Kitchoff coming in next year is a big thing as well but Sale are good. Sale, I mean, it's hard to know how good the Premiership is because you know two teams have dropped out. Yeah. Um, there's no relegation. Everyone's playing quite razzle dazzle rugby. But they, you know, Sale went and got Alex Anderson, the defence coach from Saracens, who's highly, highly rated. Has a bit of real personality about him. Yeah. Is has is building something there in the kind of Saracens mould, and and their record is very, very good. Um, is it two games they've lost this season? I, th- I think that's what it is. Like that's pretty good return from a you know for, from any league campaign. Um. And I think away from home, that's that's a tough proposition. But mm. they have a really good team. They have a very good pack. They have a decent bench. Um, they have players in good form. And it's about whether they, they're rattled by this week or whether they, they're stung by it and they, they launch back into action. They don't necessarily have to win in sale. But with La Rochelle coming to town next week, and we know that La Rochelle have no fear about going away from home and winning games, you, I wouldn't be relying on home games in this in this. Um, in this group I, I think you'd like to pick up four points over there you know maybe four next week and then you're kind of going into Christmas thinking we're pretty much true here yes. and we could be back in Belfast for a, for a last 16 game because they're good enough for that I mean the, especially with Henderson Henderson makes a big difference to them um, Cooney's probably out so they're going to be relying on, on Nathan Doak um, big game in his career but he's a really talented player mm. um, but, but yeah I, th- I think they, they like the potential outsiders for the whole thing if they can get out of this pool yeah, and if they can get out of this pool with a good seeding then they have a real chance because no, Raven has a hard place to go I agree James Lowe could have been in trouble for that moment if anyone didn't see it he was carrying and he had you know ball tucked and shoulder was going towards Cooney which is all perfectly allowable there was just a hint of elbow arm being lifted from the body which is not allowed and he got away with it they did look at it so yeah I, I think he could still be in trouble depending on what the deciding commissioner thinks um it was strange the way the referee dealt with it. You know, he, he Christoph Ridley he was nor a few referee brought in a week away. Good idea, I think. Bringing, I think they had a kind of a bit, bit of a, a swap. So I think there was Irish officials and URC officials in the other leagues as well. So Matthew Raynell did a Munster game on Friday, but Ridley he kind of was looking at the knock on, and the TMO was looking at the knock on rather than the contact. Now they said it was more of a push um, with the, with the forearm rather than a smash, uh, and I think the way Cooney fell he fell backwards and, and kind of had a bit of a whiplash effect may have impacted it may, that way it may have been where the injury came from but to me it was a very dangerous action um, and one that I think Lowe was lucky to get away with I thought he was exceptional again I mean he made a huge difference and sometimes he's been slow to come back after kind of a, an off season he's one of these guys that generally takes a few weeks to get up to a gallop Ireland missed him a big, big time in November and Leinster would miss him if he was to be cited I think signing commissioners have been slow to, to pick up these things in the last while, so I don't know whether he's, he's going to get done, but I said a little bit nervous about it. Okay. That was the big Interbro derby on Friday night. Munster away to Edinburgh it looked like a tricky game. All of the Scottish internationals back in the Edinburgh side. Edinburgh went 12 up, they went 17-7 up. At those points, you would not think it's looking good for Munster, and yet they ran out very comfortable impressive winners I mean so I don't know if you pinpoint Porky Cueve or if this was coming anyway because they had such an unsettled uh, match day 23 across the opening weeks and 
there were fitness issues as we've discussed and various concerns. So maybe it was coming regardless, but it, whatever's happening and, and uh, why it's happening, uh, maybe more the interesting question, but it certainly is happening. There's a touch of rejuvenation from uh, the fires of crisis that you were trying to create early on. In well, the it was all, it was the media, it was a media concert. What was this? What was it? Uh, Peter Armani called it hysteria. Yeah, it was. So yeah. Are um, you feeling less hysterical now? Yes, because that was one of the games. When we were calculating out the kind of route to Europe for the more to the playoffs, this was one of the games you would have had down as one they probably wouldn't get get a, a point. Might get a point in, but so this is one this, back. This almost is five in, back. This in the is, way you this is yeah, this is a big it. one. And even Connacht at home getting a bonus point in that game. The Bulls at home getting a bonus point in that game. They're all. You know, it's it's it, it, when you're playing the long game, you're looking across the season. They're all big, big results. But it, it, more than points at the weekend, it was the fact they went twelve down. They were missing tackles. They looked really poor for twenty minutes. Edinburgh were slick. Mm. Um, they looked really confident, really good. They had a tribute to Doddy Weir before the game. It was emotional. It was a full house at the kind of small stadium at the back of Murrayfield. Seemed like everyone was in good form. And everything was going really, really well for them. And, and Munster, a bit like what I said about Leinster earlier, they could have easily, and they, ha- they have done in certain games in the last 12 months, could have just gone, you know, folded up their tent and gone, it's not for us, you know. They didn't. They they, they rolled up their sleeves. They got their mall going. Um, and that got them back into the game. They, they, there was a couple of um, injuries for, for Darcy Graham went off injured. Mm. Um, Christine, who was the inside centre, was playing really well. He went off injured. And... and Edinburgh just lost their way in the game and, and by the end were an absolute rabble but that was a lot of it was down to the pressure that Munster put them on they scored them all try and then after ta- half time they looked like a different team altogether and, all, and in fairness against Connacht we saw a bit of it as well but their attack started to sing and in particular Carberry started playing right up to the line and he started taking the right options he started challenging and it was him that scored the last the fifth try it was really impressive and it was a real sign that they're moving in the right direction um, they're in a bit of form I think Antoine Frisch has been a really good signing and he went on the Emerging Ireland tour which meant he wasn't available for Munster for three weeks and then he picked up a knock after that but his form he's in the centre he? he's really yeah, he, yeah but he's a bit of everything he, he's a good defender as well but his offloading game his ability to link and bring players into the game has been very impressive and has given them another dimension in the midfield like he's taken Fekato is nowhere to be seen at the moment um, mm. you know if they can get whether they can get him up to speed or not is, is a big question and there's bit of talk that he may actually leave you know be they might be looking for a, a way out for him but if they can get him back to his best and put him alongside Frisch then they've got a serious centre partnership but that's a big if but their pack looks really good Omahani looks incredibly motivated they look fit it looks like a lot of those issues they had earlier in the season they're are, are, are in the past now and they're confident again because I think their confidence was naturally rattled by this the run they had mm-hmm. the start was a bit of a perfect storm of fitness these 56 players the Emerging Ireland tour new coaches new ideas and it put them behind the eight ball like there's good coaches there and there's good players there and we've always said that it was just they were underperforming now they're starting to perform very well and they, they've got reason to be really confident going into this week Toulouse are top of the top 14 eight wins from 12 games it will be at Limerick Limerick now has to respond to Porky Cueve yeah you yeah, know? absolutely. Uh, we, they, we, listen, these, these are where the games are. Uh, so <laughs> I do I get the sense actually there'll be a big turnout and a, a sense on the back of the last couple of weeks of 
excitement again because things had gone flat for a period. Uh, Toulouse will be interesting. Brent Pope yesterday reckoned Munster could very easily get a result here. How do you see this one? Well, Munster and Thoman Park. I mean, it's it's lazy analysis maybe, but like Munster and Thoman Park, it's like you can never write off me, you know, or, or Germany in a, a tournament that's obviously gone by the wayside now. But you know, it's like Munster at home against any side will back themselves. Their record, no matter how good or bad their seasons have been in recent years, they've always been able to produce big performances at home yeah. um, against top quality European opposition. Toulouse. Um, Dupont is back. Dupont didn't get, yeah, his suspension was was curtailed, so he'll he'll start. They rested. They brought them all off the bench last week. They have a really really good team. They have a capacity to go and win away from home that that few French teams have. They won't fear coming to Thomond. They'll respect Munster because of that. Uh, was it the quarterfinal last year the, the penalty shootout where Munster took them to the death? They'll understand the atmosphere. I know it was the Viva, but they'll understand what the fans bring to the table. Um, and they'll relish it as well and again they, they, they all know that they don't have to necessarily win these games a bonus point will be nice, a nice thing to take back they can still um, they can still kind of get out of the pool quite easily from, from there I, I'd fancy Munster to get, some, get to, to win this game um, yeah I think it's it's the it's the away games and you know it's the, sorry they have to win this game I think to really to go much further in the competition it, it's hard to tell with these pools, but this is you know your your home games are really really important. And Gloucester away they, next. You're it's, going. It's, okay. Yes, no, it's Northampton. Leicester Gloucester. Sorry, um, and Northampton are good. They're not as good as Saracens or or Sale, but they are a good side. And again, Munster can they do it consistently week on week on week? That's what we are still waiting to see. But it's starting to look like they can. Um, I think they they can win this weekend. I think they, they kind of need to win this weekend it will keep the momentum going it will yeah. get the Thoman factor back behind them it will be good for ticket sales in the future live on RTE mm. it will get a whole bit of momentum behind them and, and they're well capable of it like you know Toulouse are not unbeatable they're very good but they're not unbeatable I must be very unlucky with the Northampton games I'm seeing over the last five six years hmm. but I, I question their interest in this tournament actually yeah true I mean that's that's always an issue there's no relegation in, in the Premiership at the moment there's only 10 teams so they've loads of weekends off Fair enough. Um, and they need revenue they all need a lot of revenue so I think they'll be more they, they, I don't know how good they all are because um, the standard is not as good as the top end of the URC and definitely the top 14 um, but they're still capable of putting off I, I think an 80 minute performance and you know Munster the consistency performance you know, they've let it slip against decent URC teams but not great URC teams in the last couple of months so that's where your doubts will be but they you know, if they can beat Toulouse the weekend, they're in a really, really good spot. Okay, uh, Connacht fans will be unimpressed. We are very tight in time. We talked about them a bit with Brent Pope as well yesterday. They're in the Challenge Cup. Where do they pitch up amongst this tournament? I would think they could really eye going deep in this tournament. Yes, no? but they want to get back into next year's Champions Cup. And I think Andy Friend said, "Are we, we have our internationals for seven of the nine uh, games between now and Six Nations? So do they rest players in this window and then have a full deck to pick from over Christmas?" Do they mix and match? I'd say they'll go strong against Newcastle at home. Breaver bottom of the top 14. They're in relegation crisis. They've already sacked Jeremy Davidson. That's the other team they have in their pool. They might back themselves to go over, play against the Espoirs, pick up enough points to get through. I mean, this is their best route to silverware. Yeah. This is their best route to a Dublin final. Andy Friend's last season. 
this is a great opportunity for them and the field is not that strong although four Champions Cup teams will come into the competition later but if you're in the Challenge Cup and you have a high seeding you again you stay at home the Champions Cup teams will all be away in the knockouts so there's an opportunity to win silverware but there's also a balancing act to be done and and they lost a lot of momentum in the URC last season because they went so hard at the Champions Cup in the pool stages and and got into the last 16 and got Leinster got Leinster and got destroyed and they also had two really difficult defeats in the pool stages to three even to Leicester and Stade Francais so I think they'll try and be more balanced and give Bundy a rest one week Keane Prendergast maybe as well um, try and make sure that when it comes to the derbies after Christmas they're locked and loaded because they can t- Leinster, Munster and Ulster will be resting players then and they could take them down he's got to be a bit strategic with it but there's a t- there's a trophy there there's a big mm. big day in Dublin on a Friday night um, they've already told, sold 60,000 tickets between the two games you know they're going to be great occasions and you know Connacht don't have many windows to get silverware this is a really obvious one where they can go after it okay our rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team team of us everyone in Rory O'Connor of the Irish Independent thanks so much thanks Joe Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us